Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. And welcome to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great estate plans. My name is Tim Seckler. I am your host here on this show each and every week, where we discuss things like uh, estate planning, different tools, wills, trusts, powers of attorney, and how we use them correctly to plan for our finances and our family. Uh, I am the owner of the Seckler Law Firm, which is a fast-growing estate planning and elder law firm located in Cranberry Township, uh, but we're helping families across sort of the western Pennsylvania region. Uh, we have a couple of offices now and uh, several attorneys helping people, and um, and we use this show to educate uh, the public about some of the things that I think are important, some of the things that you may want to consider as part of uh, your estate plan as part of planning for your family and your finances. <clears throat> and um, I think that if you haven't listened to the show before, I think you'll find it valuable. You know, you can go on Spotify or iTunes and find over 100 episodes of it at this point in time, all full of good information, um, helpful information that you can use to help um, make great decisions. And if you find that my law firm um, may be a right fit for you, you can uh, you can engage us at any point in time. The way to do that, though, is not to just hire us. It's to come to a free educational event. We host educational workshops, most of them in the Cranberry area, but right off the interstate, easy to find. Um, and at these workshops, you learn in depth about wills and trusts and powers of attorney. Um, I usually do them. Sometimes the other attorneys or, uh, or team members do the workshops, but you can come and you can ask questions. You can understand how wills and trusts interact with things like taxes and long-term care and asset protection and how you can set your family up with uh, a fantastic estate plan uh, that, that protects your legacy, your interests, uh, and and does what you needed to do. And and so what are we really talking about in a lot of these situations is we're talking about legacy planning, right? Um, oh, and by the way, those workshops I was just mentioning, find them at secklerlawfirm.com. That's the name of my website. It's the name of my law firm, secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R, lawfirm.com. Or you can give us a call, 724-546-4227, uh, and we'll get you signed up. Um we chat a lot about legacy planning here at the office, here on the radio show. It's called the Life and Legacy Show. So let's let's dissect this word legacy. What what is a legacy? Um, you know, and from my standpoint, after having done this for a long time, uh, I think that um, the people use this word differently. To some people, I think the word legacy means leaving money to my kids uh, or to my family or to my cause. I think to some people it might mean I made an impact on the world professionally or with my nonprofit ventures, or it could be that I want a building named after me, or it could be that um, the family farm gets passed down, or it could be that I, uh, that I take care of my place of worship. or you know. So, so there's no right answer to what your legacy is. There's no right answer to what your legacy should be. It's just what you find important. But whatever you find important as the legacy you leave after you pass away, um, my take on this is and, and why my law firm exists is I hate to see your goal of your legacy be taken away by things like this crazy government rule book that we have. 
uh, that requires you to go broke if you need nursing home care. And if you don't need nursing home care, then they take your money when, through taxes or you know, people end up getting in these awful probate fights. And so I hate to see us live our entire lives building a nest egg, saving for retirement, uh, perhaps raising families, perhaps starting businesses, perhaps having a career, and, and then have whatever our version of our legacy is taken away by some broken estate plan that doesn't take into account some of the real risks. And so what I want to chat about today is if you have a legacy or if you've got some concept of what that legacy may be, what I want to talk about today is does the perfect estate plan exist for you? Um, is there such thing as the perfect estate plan? And I think the answer is no, probably not, um, because it's hard for us to foresee the future. It's hard for us to understand, you know, here I am recording this radio show feeling great. I have no idea when I'm going to pass away. I have no idea what illnesses are in my future. I have no idea uh, if there's going to be disabilities in the future. And if those things occur, then what might be the right answer for the estate plan tool I choose to use today may not be the right tool in the future. And then we'll be back at this again. Um, And so I don't know that the perfect estate plan exists, but let's talk about a couple of options. Um, So when we're getting into estate planning, when I ask people if I were to ask you, if you were able to chat with me right now, and I said, when I when I use the words estate plan, what's the first document that comes to mind? Odds are you would say the last will and testament, right? So let's talk about the will. The will is a document that names who gets the leftovers. Uh, when I pass away, if there's some money in my name, that stuff goes through my will. My will says who's in charge. That person is called the executor. And then the will says who gets the stuff, uh, how to divide up the assets. Now, That's fine. A a will is an important tool, right? And what I want to say is we're going to talk about wills today. We're going to talk about some trust today. And these are just tools. A screwdriver is not better than a hammer. And a will is not better than a trust. And a trust is not better than a will. It just depends on what it is that you want to accomplish, right? So the primary job of a will is to deal with the leftovers once you've passed away. And... um, Wills can do interesting things. Wills can plan for minor children. Wills can plan for disabilities. You can use a, if I'm leaving an asset to a child with a disability, I can I can do some planning for that with a will document. Um, but wills have their faults, and, and the biggest reason that people move away from a will and towards some other document is because um, we want to avoid the court system on the way out. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a, an anecdote that I have. Um, from within the last year. I was I was working on an estate, and um, it was a grandmother who had passed away, and her estate plan was a will, and there was nothing wrong with the will. I didn't write the will, but there was nothing wrong with the will. And she passed away, and she left some money to her kids, and she left some money to her grandchildren. And these grandchildren were each to receive a, a relatively modest sum. I think there was four or five grandkids, and I think they were getting like six or seven thousand bucks. It wasn't, it wasn't life altering money, right? This was money for textbooks and in a couple of months of rent, right? Um, and the will said that it was grandma's preference that the seven thousand dollar distributions should occur in Uniform Transfer to Minors Act accounts, which is typically how minors take ownership of money, and it leaves the parents in charge until 18 or 21, depending on how things are arranged. 
Um, and so we proposed to the judge that we fund Uniform Transfer to Minors Act accounts. Uh, and, and so we had to do that during the probate process because it was a will. So we're, we're in probate. And people talk about avoiding probate for a number of reasons. Um, sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's expense. Sometimes it's just a plain headache. And this is an example of just the plain headache is the judge would not allow us to do Uniform Transfer to Minors Act accounts. And I said, Your Honor, that's kind of what the will says, and and the judge indicated that he didn't really care. And uh, he required us to fund what are called sequestered accounts. Now, with a sequestered account, we really can't get to the money without a judge's permission slip. And so now, in order to get to the $7,000 for these grandkids to be able to pay for things like tuition or books, now we've got to get a lawyer to file some paperwork to get in front and get the judge to, to authorize the distribution, which to me is just not – it just didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense. Uh, and I kind of inquired with the judge or with the judge's staff as to why we had to do it that way. And the answer we got back was that the judge had an experience recently with an uncle who had stolen money from a Uniform Transfers to Minors Act account. And then, therefore, forevermore, apparently, Uniform Transfers to Minors Act accounts are uh, are no good. Um, and so the judge wouldn't let us do it. And this is going to create, a, uh, in my opinion, a fairly tremendous administrative burden on these kids to get the money that Grandma left them. And, and you know, and here's the other thing. I, I suspect that if we could go back in time and ask Grandma and explain that this is how things unfolded, and, uh, dear Grandma, is this how you would want it to unfold? Grandma would probably say, no, let's just skip the kids and give all the money to their parents, and their parents will take care of them, right? So so there's, you know, this, this process of administering a will through the courthouse. You know, in, in a lot of families, we don't really need the court's help to get this done correctly, and it's time-consuming, it's expensive. So a lot of families talk about avoiding probate. Now, in our in our state planning workshops, one of the things we talk about is is avoiding probate. Now, there's a couple of different ways to avoid the probate process. The first pl- way is you could put beneficiary designations on a bunch of accounts. Now, I personally don't recommend that to a lot of clients because beneficiary designations, yes, you avoid probate. Uh, the bank just sends the money to whomever you said, but you don't get to answer the other important questions. Uh, what happens if my uh, if the person inheriting is young? What happens if the person dies before me? What happens if they're going through a divorce? What happens if they're disabled? You know, in an effective estate plan, we answer all those questions. If I leave money to my little girl and she goes through a divorce, here's what I want to have happen so that we don't lose the money to the divorce. Okay, we do a lot of that planning. But you give up the ability to do that planning if you rely too heavily on beneficiary designations. Right? So beneficiary designations, in my opinion, for a lot of families – uh, aren't the right answer. They're certainly not the perfect estate plan. So if wills aren't a perfect estate plan, beneficiary designations aren't a perfect estate plan, uh, what, what's next? We could consider trusts. There's a couple of different types of trusts. And this is all stuff, guys, that we handle in our estate planning workshops. I, we, you know, I'm doing this as, as sort of a cursory glance uh, on today's radio show. Uh, if you want to find out more, this is exactly what we talk about at our estate planning and elder law workshops, which are free uh, and they're great Great sessions, in my opinion. You learn a lot. We get we get high marks on them. Uh, you should you should check one out at secklerlawfirm dot com. S e c h l e r lawfirm dot com. Um, okay, so trusts. Now, a trust. You could think of a trust kind of like you might think of like a company. It's its own. Once you set it up, it's kind of like it's its own legal entity, right? This arrangement is kind of its own thing. 
And there's a couple of people involved. The person who creates it is called the grantor. That's the person who sets it up and puts their money in. The person in control of it, that person's called the trustee. That's the person who makes decisions with regard to the stuff that we put into the trust. And then the people who are allowed to use the stuff in the trust, those people are called beneficiaries. Okay, so grantor sets it up, trustees in control, beneficiaries have access. Now, in some trusts, I want to be all three people. I'm going to set up my trust. I'm going to put my money in it. I want to be my own trustee. I want to maintain control. And I want to be the beneficiary. I want access to the money whenever the heck I want. And so if we set up a trust where you've got complete control and complete access, we're likely talking about a thing called a revocable trust, a revocable trust. Uh, so here's another tool, right? So a revocable living trust is a nice tool because once I put my stuff in my trust, I don't technically own the thing anymore. I put my house in there. I put some money in there. I don't technically own the house and the money. It's, it's now subject to the trust agreement. It's kind of like the trust owns it. Uh, but I can go back and use it however I want. So I'm sleeping in the house every night. I'm spending the money however I want. I got complete control and complete access. The difference is when I pass away, it's the trust document that says, upon my death, give the stuff in equal shares to the kids or whatever your decision is. And then the trust distributes the assets to the kids um, without the need of court intervention. We don't need the judge to divide your estate by your three kids. We can figure that out all on our own. Uh, and so we use a revocable living trust to avoid the court system, tends to save some time, tends to save some headache, tends to um, save the thing like I was sharing with the sequestered accounts or whatever the next thing is that the judge comes up with. So we can use revocable living trust to avoid some of those, pro those processes. Um, so that's option two. Now, is, is a revocable living trust perfect? Well, of course not. No, none of these things are perfect, Right. Uh, revocable living trusts are nice in that they avoid probate, but we still haven't dealt with the single biggest issue that most of my middle class, upper middle class retirees face. And, and the biggest financial threat that we deal with is what happens if I need a nursing home? Because nursing homes in this state are 150 grand a year, and not very many of my clients can handle a $150,000 a year expense. And so if revocable living trusts don't deal with that issue, then no, the estate plan is imperfect, right? It, it's not perfect. So then we take a look at the next tool, which is an irrevocable asset protection trust. Now, I've done episodes in full on these tools. You can find them on my website. You can come to the, the webinar. You can come to the uh, seminar, rather, uh, and we'll chat about it. But um, here's the thing. With an irrevocable asset protection trust, I can maintain some control but I give up access to my money because if I can get it, then the potential nursing home can get it. So with certain assets, I might be willing to give up access to the money. And I'll give you an example. I love irrevocable asset protection trusts for, for my middle class, upper middle class retirees or soon-to-be retirees. I love irrevocable trusts for the primary residents. Um, why? Because most of my clients are never going to access their home equity despite what the banks and Tom Selleck are selling you at 11 o'clock on late-night television, most of my clients are not going to do a reverse mortgage. This isn't a comment on whether you should do a reverse mortgage. It's just been my experience. Most of my clients don't. Um, and so if we're not going to do a reverse mortgage, meaning we're never going to access the equity in our house to buy groceries, we're not, we're not going to take out the equity of our house, then what's the harm in putting it into a trust that says I can't have the equity. I wasn't going to take it anyhow. Uh, and so now I could put my house into a trust that I can't access it, but I wasn't going to anyhow. 
But by the nature of having it in the trust, I can now protect the value of that house from my potential future nursing home expense, which for most middle-class, upper-middle-class retirees is your biggest financial threat. It's not – look, it's not – market risk usually. It's not the, the, all in the news right now is bank failures. That's probably not your biggest exposure. Um, it's not taxes. Middle-class families don't go broke because of taxes. We pay taxes. We don't go broke because of paying taxes. So what is the one thing in our retirement years that can make us go broke? And that is that nursing homes cost $150,000 a year, today's dollars, who knows what it is in 10, 15 years. So it costs $150,000 today's dollars. And Medicare, which is supposed to be our health care in our retirement years, just doesn't pay for it. They just simply say no, not eligible, or not, not a qualified medical expense. And so, so here we have a system for seniors where the Alzheimer's Association is telling us that one in three seniors are going to have dementia. Medicare denies coverage. Medicare that is supposed to be our health care system in retirement just doesn't pay for this stuff. And um, and nursing homes cost 150 grand a year. So you multiply that together. One in three chance times 150 grand per year, and Medicare is not going to help me. That sounds to me like a recipe that either I or one of my neighbors on either side is likely to go broke because of this expense. And so if one in three of us, if I got a neighbor on my left and a neighbor on my right and I live in the middle and one in three of us are going to have dementia, there's a significant chance one of these houses is going to get lost. One of these families is going to go broke. And from my standpoint, no, that's not an acceptable answer for me and my wife. And so I'm going to consider putting that house in an irrevocable trust. Okay. Now, does that mean that the asset protection trust, the irrevocable trust is a perfect estate plan? Of course not. Of course not. It's not proper for everything. You can't put in retirement accounts. You can't put in certain assets. You wouldn't put in all your money, right? So if a will is not the perfect estate plan, if a beneficiary designation is not a perfect estate plan, if a revocable living trust is not a perfect estate plan, and if an irrevocable asset protection trust, which is option four, is not a perfect estate plan, then the question is, is there a perfect estate plan? And I suggest to you, of course not. No, there isn't. Um, Because even if we wanted to take a reasonable guess at what the appropriate tool would be for you to use today, that doesn't mean that it would still be the appropriate tool for you to use in five to seven years. The laws could change. Your situation is almost certainly going to change. Uh, And so then what tool do we need in five to seven years? So here's my criteria for a successful estate plan. It is. It honors your life. Whatever you want your legacy to be, this plan takes care of that. It protects your resources. It sets your kids up for success. Okay, what does that mean? It means your kids know their future role and responsibility. So much stress around the post-death administration work is because the kids don't know the difference between being an executor, being a power of attorney, being a trustee. They don't know what they're supposed to do, and it gets very stressful on them, and it gets very stressful on their relationship between them and their siblings, and it's a giant headache. So we need to take care and time to set your kids up for success. And I want the plan to work today based on what we know today, and I want the plan to be flexible enough to work tomorrow based on um, whatever tomorrow brings, all right? So then what's the right strategy? You know, and here is one of the reasons that I think a lot of estate plans fail is because most estate planning law firms 
if, if we're doing planning for middle class, upper middle class families, and this is different for wealthier families. This is different for younger families. What I'm talking about is planning for middle class, upper middle class, retirees or soon-to-be retirees. Um, what most law firms are going to do is you're either going to get a simple will, and, and you could get a simple will for a couple of reasons, one of which is that the lawyer has no idea what he's doing or she's doing. Right? You could go to a lawyer who does traffic tickets on Monday, divorces on Tuesdays, uh, criminal law on Wednesdays, they write wills on Thursday, and they golf on Friday. Right? Uh, that person has never read a trust. That person has never written a trust, and you are not going to get a trust from that attorney. The second thing that could occur is you might go to somebody who focuses on high net worth tax planning. And if you end up doing high net worth tax planning and you're not high net worth, the answer seems to me to be that a lot of the time they just give you a will. It's kind of like, here's your will, get out of my office. Um, and, well, n no, wait a minute. I've got goals and desires. Just because I don't have $20 million doesn't mean I don't have goals and desires. Um, and so then you end up with a simple will there. Okay. Now, the, the law firms that do this middle-class elder law planning, and a lot of us that focus on helping middle-class families, we call ourselves elder law attorneys simply because your biggest financial threat is long-term care. And so we have to take into account how to plan for long-term care. And so then we get the moniker elder law attorney. Right? Um, and the way most elder law attorneys work is – you uh, you get an initial consultation, and then we give you some options. You could, look, here's option one. You can do a will. You could do a revocable trust. You could do an asset protection trust. It's almost like, like a good, better, best offer, right? Uh, but here's my theory. My theory goes that you didn't call my law firm for a good plan. Um, you didn't call my law firm for a better plan. You called my law firm for the best plan, Um now, we've already gone through a bunch of these different tools and established there is no perfect plan. So then what's the best plan? And what I tend to think the best plan is, why not just get a fully loaded toolbox? Why not just get all the documents? And we use the one we need when we use it, when we need it. We, use, we have it. It's kind of like at home I have a toolbox, and in the toolbox there's a measuring tape, and there's a screwdriver, and there's a wrench, and there's a hammer, and none of them are better than the other. And some weekends, my wife has me working on projects where I need a hammer. And some weekends, I'm working on a project where I need a screwdriver. And boy, it's awful nice to have those so that I don't have to go to Lowe's every time I need a tool. Um, they're just already in the toolbox. And that's kind of become my philosophy with the estate plan is why make a family decide uh, upon what's the best estate plan for them when it's impossible for them to know what five to seven years from now looks like why not just give them everything? Um, so that's kind of become my philosophy on how I like to do planning. So why don't all the families just do everything? Why doesn't every law firm just give you every document? And the answer is because it becomes prohibitively expensive for a lot of families. So, so think about this proposition. You go to the lawyer's office and they say, well, here's this and here's that and here's this. And you can have them all. But if you have them all... Here's the big price tag, and uh, and then families go, no, 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 no. I don't think I want to spend that much money. So I guess I'll just take a good plan, please. Can I just have the good plan? I don't want the better plan. It's too expensive. I don't want the best plan. It's too expensive. And now we got a situation where the family has reached out to a law firm looking for help, identified their biggest concern was something like maybe protecting assets from long-term care costs, and then walked out with a, a document, a tool that doesn't solve that issue. 
It's like I came to Lowe's looking for a hammer, and I walked out with a wrench because hammers were expensive. But wait a second. I needed a hammer. And and so to me, it just was complete failure. So what did we do? We had to come up with a way that families could get a fantastic estate plan, um, every document they need, and lower the price. And so um, worked on it for a long time, and we came up with, with sort of proprietary system that we work with our clients on. Uh, it starts with the estate planning workshop I've been chatting with you about today. I encourage you to come. We explain the rest of the process once you're there. But we've got a way to get you um, the the documents you need, the, the fully loaded toolbox that you need and want. Um, and we've done it in a way that is not cost prohibitive. Pretty much every family can afford to do it. And it just simply works. So I would encourage you to attend one of our upcoming estate planning workshops. You can find them at secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R lawfirm.com. Or you can uh, give us a call and we'll schedule you at 724-546-4227. Now, we have these workshops all the time. I'm looking at the calendar right now. There's one just about every week through uh, through the end of April. Uh, so you can come whenever you need. Uh, we'll get you scheduled. And at those workshops, you're going to meet uh, my team. You're going to learn about some of these tools. You're going to learn about our proprietary process that gets you the, the tools at uh, a fair price. Um, and if you don't want to work with our firm after all of that, then you simply don't hire us and, and the information was free. So don't know how to do it any more fair than that. Um, check us out. Come to one of the webinars. I keep saying webinars, but we're not doing webinars. It's all live uh, in person, secularlawfirm.com. Uh, listen, I appreciate you listening this afternoon um, or this morning whenever you, whenever you hear the episode. Um, Remember, the information in this episode and every other episode is for your general information. This is not legal advice. You are not my client. However, we would like to help you. Uh, That starts by coming to one of the upcoming workshops. So I look forward to seeing you there. Uh, Have a great day. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SecklerLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.